Welcome to the Health Leaders Women in Healthcare Leadership Podcast. I'm Melanie Blackman, Strategy Editor and Podcast Host for Health Leaders. My guest for today's episode is Amy B. Mansu, President and CEO of Inspira Health, a nonprofit healthcare organization serving patients across southern New Jersey through three medical centers, five health centers, and over 150 care locations. During today's conversation, Amy shares what it's been like leading Inspira through the COVID-19 pandemic, what her main focuses have been as a leader over the past year, and gives us a glimpse into her leadership background and style. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Amy. I really appreciate it. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for having me. It's always so great to be with you. So to get us started, would you mind sharing a little bit about your healthcare background and how you landed at Inspira? Sure. I'm a social worker by trade, and I uh, was in the planning and management track, very interested in um, legislative activity. I actually did an internship in D.C., I had the privilege of working with Congressman Claude Pepper on the Subcommittee of Health and Long-Term Care of the Elderly, and there I met Governor, then Congressman, but to be Governor Jim Florio. And so that started a career in public service where I was with him when he became governor and then went on when he lost to go to a nonprofit health organization and, um, and then went back into government, uh, a straight deputy chief of staff management role um, under Governor Jim McGravey. I uh, decided that I'd run my course in government and decided it was time for a change and ended up at Children's Specialized Hospital, which is our largest pediatric rehabilitation hospital in the country, and was there for 13 years. And after that, the Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas merger, I elevated to a corporate level, took on a couple of different corporate roles. And then my colleague, John D'Angelo, who I worked with at the New Jersey Hospital Association when we both were on the board, uh, who was the president of Inspira before, reached out and he said, I think you should look at this. I'm going to retire. And sure enough, I said, you know, I've got a great thing. It's the largest health system in the state. I don't need to, I, I'm really happy. He's like, no, just talk to our board chair. And I fell in love with the mission and the vision and the people who were really trying to make a difference in South Jersey and really focus on the health of the community and how we as an anchor institution would really impact that. So I've now been here for a year and a half. Probably not a great idea to move a job in the middle of COVID, just as an FYI. It's really difficult to meet people and build those relationships, but I think we've done pretty well, and it's now 14 months, and I'm uh, so honored to be here and so thrilled at the chance to be part of this amazing organization. I mean, that's amazing that you started during the pandemic. What has been your experience leading the organization through all of this? It um, has been fascinating because there's really no time for pretense, right? So all of the flowers or gloss that you would put on something, you just got to run in because we, you know, we, like every other healthcare organization in the country, were faced with things that we could never have imagined we would be faced with. You know, from initially, I was at a different organization, but that first wave, Sphera, you know, we were in the, all in the same situation. We didn't have PPE. We didn't know how to treat things. We didn't have access to the drugs. You know, everything was so new. I came in in August. So we had had that first wave under our belt. But then the second wave was bigger for us, much more challenging in some cases because the amount of people and the amount of staff needed um, required us to really make some difficult decisions in leadership. And so you start from a premise where you don't have any, any earned trust over decades um, and you've got this new person coming in saying, okay, I think we need to look at it this way or think about it that way. And it, 
you know, it really, I really worked hard during those first six months, especially to listen, to listen, to meet people, to meet them where they were, to help them understand, you know, at least where I was hoping we would go as an organization. We decided to take on, even in the middle of COVID, an update of our strategic plan to make sure that we were responding both to the COVID challenges that were before us, but really to, to look at whether these were still the right opportunities for us and um, how do we continue to stay focused on growth and recovering from COVID as an organization for our financial health, as well as for our patients amidst all the things that were going on. And, and Melanie, something fascinating happened in that process. I really thought it was gonna be an update of the items within the strategic plan, our tactical, you know, are we doing the right thing? And what happened was the staff who we engaged in this discussion through both focus groups and surveys and some roundtables said, hey, wait a second, I think we need to look at our mission, vision, values. We don't see ourselves specifically called out in this mission and vision. And if you don't do that, after everything we've just been through, where our dependency on creating a team and being there for each other was so important, we're gonna have missed an opportunity. So we took a step back and updated the mission, vision, values, and the values we actually put into an acronym based upon the feedback of the staff that says, I create. And while each of those letters means something else, the I at the beginning is about innovation, and it starts with each individual being acknowledged for their worth and their value in the organization. And I think that that, for me, was a turning point. It showed me that the staff were willing to come forward and say, this is what I need. And during COVID, more so than ever, it is so important that we develop those trusting relationships with staff where they feel like they can arc things up and they can say, I don't feel safe, or I, this is what I need to feel safe, or most importantly, stop the line because we'll have to keep it safe for our staff and our patients. And that's the whole point of living into a high reliable organization. We've been on that journey here at Inspira for seven years, and um, I'm so proud that the staff stopped the line and said, we're gonna do this different and I, we need you to hear us. And I'm thrilled that the board and the leadership team responded. And I, I, it, I think it, it catapulted us to a new place in reference to our trusting relationships together and um, really gives us a great framework to continue to build on as we go through COVID and as we face the challenges that we all are gonna face in healthcare. The latest one, of course, being around staffing and the need to, think about how we support our staff, how we find staff, how we grow our own staff to take on new challenges, um, and how we recruit new staff in, because that is right now the biggest challenge any organization has. And already we know that before the pandemic, our largest single expense line was indeed salaries, and it will continue to be. And now it's even more so because the salaries that people are demanding are, are so much greater. And with 80% of your workforce as women, we know that the challenges for women who are trying to balance, whether it be the care of your child or the care of your aging adults, continue to be significant. So we are thinking about those things as we're addressing our strategic plan and our domain around people and how we invest in people and how we create partnership with our, our team members and really you know, think about this, not just as an employer relationship, but really as part of the family. Oh, I love that your reimagined mission, vision, and value statements not only encompass the patients that you serve, but also the staff, sort of that family dynamic that you're talking about. I was wondering if you could go a little bit more in depth on those new statements and, and kind of how moving forward this is going to drive the new strategic plan. 
we have been an organization that has been very strong financially. We're a, a conglomeration of different merged organizations, small hospitals that have become the Inspira Health System. And we now have three hospitals and two satellite emergency rooms that we operate as well as our uh, large physician network on an outpatient basis. And so one of the things that we're gonna test ourselves with as we begin to really look strategically is does it fit? Does what we're planning on doing strategically fit into the mission and the vision of where we wanna be? We talk about the need to ensure the highest quality of care, delivering high patient satisfaction, in partnership with our employees. And so I think we're really not only looking at growth to just ensure that we have the footprint that helps the financial viability of the organization, but is it the right things that will improve quality, that will improve patient satisfaction, and will indeed improve the overall health of the community, which is ultimately how we are gonna be judged. You know, I'm really excited about the chance to look at that with that lens having difficult conversations, candid conversations about what it takes to move the quality bar. How do we help each other, protect each other in some ways to stop the line if indeed we see something that feels like it's not safe? And it's, I'm not talking about unsafe surgeries. I'm talking about where we've, um, we've put too much on the plate of our nursing staff, as an example, where we've got so many things that we have to come in compliance with that as we stack those things up, when you turn those things on the, your, their side, that's the distance we put between our staff and our patients. And what our patients are telling us and what our staff are telling us is they want a closer relationship. They wanna make sure that people are fully engaged. And in order for our staff to be fully engaged with our patients, we need to take, take away some of those paperwork, some of that throughput issues, some of those challenges, barriers that exist in any big organization and really get them back to what they want to do, which is care for patients. And that requires us to look at every one of our processes and really try and, and figure out how we can remove waste from those processes. And so I think that's the new lens. I'm um, humbled by the challenge that it talks that that, that looks like, like when you've got 6,500 employees. I'm energized by the opportunity to really redesign how we deliver care to be able to meet both the needs of those patients during a global pandemic, as well as the staffing shortages that we know we all are going to face. Yep, absolutely. You know, we talked about your strategic plan, the new statements. What other challenges and, and things are you looking forward to addressing with that new lens as we go into 2022? I can't believe it. <laughs> We're already almost there. As we look at the health of our community, some of the challenges that we face relate to that of violence and specifically around gun violence. We do have um, a, a very rural area in Cumberland County and Salem County, but in Cumberland County, the mortality rate is specifically impacted by losing too many children too young. And so, you know, I would say that we have begun conversations with stakeholders where we are not the person convening those conversations, but with the prosecutor, with law enforcement, with the schools, with the social service agencies. And in this case, you know, Inspira is really sitting on the sideline saying, what is it you need from us? And the asks that they have made of us are not things that would have come from us per se, not on our radar for sure. But when you're looking at how do you improve the health of the community and mortality, it, the mortality rate is impacted by the loss of life at a young age, then you've got to look at different strategies. So They've asked for our EMS team to begin to um, put together a program to be able to teach, you know, how you keep safety within the potential of gun violence. And again, that's not something we would have 
thought about or talked about, but we are having those dialogues with the school district now. And I think that that is an example of how we're trying to stretch to meet not only our needs, but their needs, because the improve the saving of children is nothing more important. And honestly, that violence rolls over into our emergency rooms. And so it's important for us to be able to keep our employees safe as well. I think that's amazing that, you know, your organization is reaching out and helping the communities in more ways than just the patients coming in and getting treated. Part of it is using the data. Right, so the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation every single year does an analysis across the country of the health of a county. And they give you very, I mean, they're completely transparent about it. They tell you exactly what they're looking at. They tell you exactly what some of your drivers are. You know, we all obviously do already the community health needs assessment as required by federal law, and we all partner with local folks. But when you really look at those rankings, what's really driving that, that was something that jumped out to us in our review and Cumberland and Salem County are always fighting for the lack of distinction of being either last or next to last in the worst health outcomes. So, you know, as the anchor institution in the organization, we own that. We have to look at what is our role in that and what are the things we need to be doing to partner with others. We know that we're working really hard within our organization on our own quality, but so much of that health of the community happens outside our doors. And you know, while we certainly have been active in the issues around food desert and active in reference to the issues around affordable housing and making sure that our behavioral health patients have access to affordable housing and independent housing that allows them to regain their lives, um, in some cases, if they were living on the street, there's a whole nother area out here in reference to mortality. And it, I don't think if, if we had not taken this challenge that we did really about looking at the health of the community, that we would be having these types of conversations now. Oh, that's great. You're taking that data and making it actionable. Exactly. We'll be right back after this short break. Hi, I'm Alexandra Pecci, Revenue Cycle Editor at Health Leaders. Don't miss the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast, which drops the second Tuesday of every month. You'll get to hear Revenue Cycle executives sharing their innovative ideas and proven strategies for tackling big issues like price transparency, denials management, surprise billing, artificial intelligence, and so much more. Subscribe and listen to the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. So switching gears now a little bit, I'd love to talk a little bit more about you. You're doing all these amazing things with Inspira. Like we talked about, you came in during the pandemic, helped with the reimagined mission, vision, and value statements, you know, making waves in the community. So how would you describe your leadership style and how has your background in public service and healthcare kind of helped define that? you always go back to what you know right and so trained as a social worker you start with the assessment what's the assessment of the situation what does the organization need not necessarily what's my leadership style but what does the organization need and at this point the organization really needed somebody to wrap its arms around it and make sure that it we were being completely transparent especially in covid that we were completely clear about what our goals were for the future i had the privilege of having an amazing team of people around me and so we do weekly videos internal videos as well as external videos to the community and to the staff so that way it gives me a real opportunity every you know seven days to be able to say okay this is where we are this is where our COVID numbers are this is the challenge for the week this is what we're seeing this is the latest mandate from the state this is you know great things that happened in the organization this is a safety story that we've had always trying to feature our patients in there to talk about the opportunities that we have 
you know, and trying to encourage our community members to see themselves in our patient stories so they will come back and get care. We are seeing a, a very high rate of individuals who've delayed care. And so they're coming in much sicker, not related to COVID, separate and apart from COVID. And it's so important that we are taking care of ourselves. Both our internal staff, right? We're talking a lot about their mental health, about do they have the supports they need? What are the things that we need to do about making sure that we're having the right staffing? And obviously staffing continues to be a challenge, but how do we change the flow of work to make sure that while we're in this period of trying to ramp up and deal with all the demand, that um, we're also looking at the things that cause them stress and take them off the plate. It has given me a tremendous opportunity to have conversation both internally as well as externally. In addition to those things, we have monthly directors and senior leader meetings, we have town halls, and we have a, you know, a chat box where people can ask questions virtually, anonymously or otherwise, at any time on any subject. So you know, we're trying to really break down any barriers that exist to communication. And I think that's probably the, the key, is that that's the way I, as a social worker, would do my assessment. I get feedback, I would take in data, I would you know, help me decide you know, what is the best course of treatment for this patient or this group. And you know, I think that that's what I've tried to do. And the only way you do that is by listening. And you've got to be able to be open to, and be vulnerable, candidly, um, to take both the positive as well as negative and then be able to respond to it. And if you can't make change, to own that as well and talk about why that is. So for those who either want to make a jump into the healthcare sector or those who want to kind of make the jump up into leadership, what advice do you have for those people? I would say there is no one straight path. I, I didn't set out to be a CEO, but I think that the opportunity to manage and lead teams and be part of a team, you know, I, I often say that nobody works for me, they work with me. And for me, that's a really important part of this equation. Becoming a leader is, requires you to double down on the amount of work that you have to do internally, yourself as a leader, making sure that you're constantly asking, am I creating the right environment to help people grow and flourish? Because that is our goal. Yes, you're supposed to lead a you know, almost billion dollar organization with 6,500 employees. But at the end of the day, it, my role is to make sure that there's somebody in line to replace me, that we have provided the opportunity for growth and talent throughout the organization. And if you're in an organization where you know, you're feeling like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not filling that soul, then I would encourage you to just start looking. You know, it's okay, honestly, um, to be in situations, sometimes life demands it, where your higher priority is your family and your job is just a job. But there are other opportunities, and I'm living one right now, where you know that this is a calling and the chance to be part of something much bigger than who you are is worth the sacrifice. And so I would say to my colleagues who are women who are thinking about this, because honestly, women are, are very hard on themselves. They automatically, no matter what the challenge is, usually start with, if it's a, if it's a push up or an opportunity to move up, that especially a stretch assignment, their first answer is almost always, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready. And I would say, none of us are ever ready. If somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, it's time, I think you could do this job, or I've got this new opportunity for you, or you know, I've got this whole new program started and I'm not really sure what it's gonna look like, but I, need, I, I know I need somebody with your talents and I promise you, we'll figure it out along the way, do it. They're not gonna put you in a situation you could fail. 
And even if it doesn't work exactly how you thought it was, they're now invested in making sure that you do find exactly what you want. But you've got to take that risk. And it's hard. It's hard because women are carrying a lot of the responsibility. You know, in healthcare, obviously 80% of the workforce is women. So in some cases, we're carrying the responsibility not only for 50% of the salary in the house, but maybe larger, maybe all of the health benefits, maybe you know, the person that is also managing the childcare and caring for the elder, elderly parents. And you know, women take on more and more. And you know, sometimes those sacrifices also are sacrifices about your career. And so those are all things that we have to think about as we are moving through this pandemic and making sure that we're creating those opportunities and those pathways to be more flexible. You know, my message to women is take the risk. If somebody says to you, I, you know, I, want, I see a new opportunity for you, unless it's something you just really can't see yourself or you, you know, you're, you're offended by it in some way, I'd say take the risk. Take the risk. I absolutely love that. And I really appreciate you sharing all that wisdom with me and also the listeners. Well, thank you so much. You make it so easy to talk to you. I'm so grateful for the chance to be together. And these podcasts are so important to help carry not only the the words, but you know, the 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 tone of the words. I have found it really helpful to hear the intonation from my colleagues out the country as I listen to the others that you've done to really understand. Um, where they are and what the intensity is and, and how important it is for us to have this vehicle when we can't go to conferences anymore and we, or we haven't been able to be in person um, to have this vehicle that you all have created. So I'm grateful. Oh, I really appreciate that. It's, it's been amazing to, to try to be a part of this dialogue. And I've learned so much from you and other guests that I've had on this podcast and I'm excited to see what 2022 brings um, to (laughs) (laughs) onward and upward. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you again so much for being with me and and sharing your expertise. And I can't wait to, to speak again soon. Anytime. I'd be glad to. I always appreciate the opportunity to chat. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on the Health Leaders Women in Healthcare Leadership podcast. Until next year, keep taking care of your patients and each other.